Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. This is the day where you can turn to God and be forgiven of your sin. This is the day where God is not telling his church to stop praying for these people. This is the day when God is telling the church to rise up in prayer and pray for people. This is the day when anybody from any race, creed or religion can turn to God and ask to have their sins forgiven and for Jesus Christ to become their saviour. It is the day of salvation today. It's not too late. Actions have consequences. We all know that. Treat your body with contempt when you're young and you will pay for it as you get older. Lead a life satisfying selfish and sinful desires and you'll pay for that too. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 15 and the Israelites are looking down the barrel of the consequences of sinful living. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for Sin Pays Wages and It's Payday. Father, as we open up your word now, we pray that you'll continue to work by your spirit, have your way, do what only you can do. Speak to us, Lord. For those that are here with serious questions, for those that are here with doubts, we know that you are the God of all truth. And that, Lord, the answer to doubt is not more faith. The answer to doubt is the truth. And, Father, as we share the word of your truth, we pray that you would confirm it deep in all of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're in Jeremiah chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 5 down to verses 9. And this section is called Sin Pays Wages and it's Payday. It's taken from Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 5 to 9. So we're reading from verse 5. Who will have pity on you, O Jerusalem? Or who will grieve for you? Who will turn aside to ask about your welfare? We've been seeing that the prophet Jeremiah, this young man, called from about the age of 12. As a young man woken up one night by the Lord, given this vivid dream, this vivid vision, where, where God takes him, and calls him to be a prophet to the nations. And this young boy is, is absolutely staggered and says, I'm too young. I can't do what you're asking me to do. And we know from the opening chapter that God says to him, don't say you're too young. Don't let anyone look down on your youth. And this is why I'm excited about what God's doing in young people. And there are young people in this church that God is going to use in a prophetic mantle. You'll speak things into situations and into people's lives and you'll stand back and go did I just say that the courage that Jeremiah exhibited was outstanding and there's there's a whole bunch of people that are really if they if, if they if they could see what God would have us see and we could peel back the spiritual veil we would see that there are demons and there are angels and there are demons that are clouding people's minds pulling the strings like the Godfather puppeteer, making them do things, causing them to say things, blinding their vision, causing them to distort the truth. And there's a whole bunch of young, godly, holy people that have been saved and set free. The veil has been removed from their eyes. They see the world for what, the way it really is, and they're not afraid to speak up. So that when somebody says, oh, that old God religion stuff, it's a load of rubbish. There can be godly young men and women who go, well, I don't think so. I believe the Bible and I believe in the God of the Bible. And here's Jeremiah, age 12. God's telling him, you're going to speak to the whole nation. You are going to charge the nation with the sin that they're committing. You're going to expose it to them. 
You're going to reveal my heart to my people. You're going to call my people to come back to me. And this is what this young man was charged with. And he ministered during the reign of three or four kings. And, and now we're at this point where it's just about to explode. Jeremiah has been telling them, you will be invaded. They have been telling Jeremiah, you've had too much pizza. This ain't going to happen. We have the temple of the Lord, they said. And Jeremiah at one point stands in front of the temple of the Lord and he prophesies this. Do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, for I am not in this house. And you can imagine how that would have sounded to the, to the city full of people coming to worship at the temple of the Lord because they thought God was in the house. And here's Jeremiah exposing their secret sin. Now, I don't know what you think sin is, but by the end of this presentation, I hope I can challenge you to hate it because God does. And I know that Christians aren't supposed to hate anything, but that is a myth. We are supposed to not only hate, in fact, if you remember Romans chapter 12, it's, it uses a word that's a thousand times stronger than the word hate, and it's the word abhor. What are we meant to abhor? Anyone remember Romans 12? Abhor what is evil. Thank you, Kate. We are meant to abhor what is evil. So Christians should hate well, but hate the right things well. Hate what God hates. So here's Jeremiah telling the people, you are about to be invaded. Your city is going to be destroyed. An invading army is going to come in and the people are responding. It'll never happen. Jeremiah, you don't know what you're talking about. And God has used Jeremiah to say this three or four times up until this chapter. And, and Jeremiah is saying, God, you're going to destroy my kinsmen. You're going to destroy the city. God says, yeah, I am. They have utterly rejected me. They make a mockery of me. They have despised me. Jeremiah, for three or four generations now, literally over about a period of 150 years from the time of the prophet Isaiah up until Jeremiah's time, about a period of 100, 120 or so years, roughly, God had been pleading with the nation to stop sinning. Now, when we say sin, are we saying, you know, they, they, they forgot to pray that day? No, we're saying they did things that were despicable. They took... They took their babies, they threw them into the fire. They said, there's an offering to the moon god. This is the kind of thing they were doing. And then they said, and God told us to do that. You can see why God's outraged, because there's no way he told them to do that. And so here, Jeremiah in verse 5 is saying, who will have pity on you? You see, even the world will recognize when someone's doing the wrong thing. You ever had someone who's not a Christian say, hey, you're not supposed to do that. You're a Christian. Well, what about when the world says... Of somebody who's doing something wrong. Now that's just going too far. There comes a point when sin becomes obvious. And this is the question Jeremiah is now asking. You remember the Lord has just told him for the second or third time. Jeremiah stop praying for these people. And we're going to see that Jeremiah is really struggling with this from God. You mean I'm not to have any compassion for my countrymen God? And God's saying no no no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But you are not to pray for these people it tells us that prayer really does have an impact on God and that we should pray. That's just by the way. But here's Jeremiah saying, who will have pity on you? Even the most evil, wicked people will recognize you've gone too far. Wow. 
So I want you to see in the next verse, because there are some people have this concept that God has already decided, I'm going to reject these people and I'm going to accept these people. But notice what God says about who he accepts or rejects. This is in the next verse. And I think we need to understand this because God only rejects those who reject him. And I know there's some people who battle and wonder about this concept of the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is where the Holy Spirit has been ministering to you, your need to turn to Christ, and you reject Christ. Emphatically, absolutely reject Christ. That's unforgivable. If you don't receive God's grace, if you don't receive God's forgiveness, how can you be forgiven? What other forgiveness is there? Here we go. Next verse, verse 6. You have rejected me, declares the Lord. Notice who initiated the rejection. You keep going backward so i have stretched out my hand note that expression it's a biblical expression the expression stretched out my hand is an expression where god declares it and people also pray it and ask for god to do it it's it's an expression that means god is about to act remember in the early church was it acts chapter four they the, the early church gathered they prayed this oh god stretch out your hand and grant that signs and wonders be done in your name it's, a, it's an expression that means God is about to act. And it could be for good, it could be for bad. Not that <clears throat> bad in this sense is what we would call bad. But. So here we go. I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary of relenting. This is the infinite God, perhaps, of patience. The God who is slow to anger. The God who is all merciful has said... Enough is enough. Now here's here's the question as we read on, we're going to see that Jeremiah is going to prophesy what what is about to happen to the city. And this is horrible. It is really, really, really horrible. And it's a picture of what happens when you reject God. And so this verse that we've just read, you have rejected me, therefore I've rejected you. This is really important to understand. It wasn't that Israel was going along with all their good intentions, with all their good heart, loving God, serving God as best they could, God woke up one morning really angry and said, that's it, I'm, I'm through with you, I reject you. That is not the picture. That is not the picture. The picture here is that the people rejected God and so God leaves them to their own devices. And, the, and what is about to happen to Jerusalem was terrible. It was terrible. And we get a little prophetic glimpse of it here in these verses and in a moment we're going to read these two verses and i'm going to ask you a question it says this in verse seven i have winnowed them with a winnowing fork in the gates of the land i have bereaved them i have destroyed my people they did not turn from their ways verse eight i have made their widows more in number than the sand of the seas i have brought against the mothers of young men, a destroyer at noonday, I have made anguish and terror fall upon them suddenly. That is a very bleak picture. It's poetry, and it's poetry describing what will happen to Jerusalem. And what will happen to Jerusalem is that King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon will come in, and he will spare none. He will be 
to use the word that I now hear because Josh is on staff and I work with Josh throughout the week. I hear the word abused. He's got no idea what it means. But King Nebuchadnezzar will be brutal. (laughs) In the truest, literal sense of the word brutal, not in the Josh Norwegian death metal sort of heavy rock sense. In the real sense. And Nebuchadnezzar, we know from history, was. Now, why was God doing this? Because out of this will come, and Steve mentioned it over the offering this morning, will will actually come a young generation of people who watch their parents react to Jeremiah. You see, while Jeremiah is prophesying this in the city, there's a young boy, maybe six, seven, eight years of age. His name's Daniel. And he's hearing Jeremiah, the man who's not that old himself, perhaps in his 20s now, uh, maybe 30, who's, who's prophesying these things to the city. And young Daniel's watching his parents and grandparents just you know, mock and ridicule Daniel. But something in the heart of this young boy is going, I think this man's telling the truth. I think there's something about this. And this young person, Daniel, and we heard of his colleagues, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, these young boys, they come out of this Destruction by Nebuchadnezzar where they're taken away and they're, they're taken into captivity. And, and God has his hand on these people and eventually out of that group, there's a, there's a fellow by the name of Mordecai and he has a, a young cousin that he's like a father to and her name is Esther. And so there's this whole group of young people that see the sword, they see the famine, they see the pestilence and they're taken captive and they're going, why didn't our parents repent? Why didn't our grandparents repent? Why didn't they listen to Jeremiah? We don't understand. God, we're sorry. And we read in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel actually prays a prayer of repentance and and asking for the forgiveness of the sins of his parents and grandparents. Daniel chapter 9, the sins of the forefathers. And so there's a whole group of young people that see this. God got their attention. And here's the question. God got their attention. What does it take for God to get your attention? And here's a supplementary question, Mr. Speaker. Are you more likely to give God attention? You're more likely to call upon him in good times or bad times? That's for you to, to answer. I know for me it's bad times and I don't like that. In fact, I feel horribly stupid saying that, but I know it's the reality. It's when times get tough that I call upon God. It's when times are easy that I'm slack. I'm not as dependent upon God as I should be. I don't call upon his name like I should. I don't, I don't live in dependence upon him like I should. And, and I'm trying to, I'm, please pray for me. I'm trying to turn that around. <laughs> you understand? I want, to, I want God to have my full devotion and attention when he's blessing me. Because I much prefer the blessing of God than the tough times of testing. Obviously, I'm the only one because you're looking at me like, you call yourself a pastor. We are ever thankful. We're calling upon God over breakfast, brother, not like... Well, I feel really pumped now, so (laughs) getting these... (laughs) All right, so verse 9. She... Who bore seven has grown feeble. Now, I think the point there is if you've borne seven children, you are a tough girl. You don't mess with a woman who's had seven babies. But notice what the prophet here says. 
She who was born seven has grown feeble. Even the toughest woman will be overwhelmed with what is about to happen. Even the toughest woman. She has fainted away. Her son went down while it was yet day. It's a poetic expression of hope is gone. And the rest of them I will give to the sword before their enemies, declares the Lord. Mercy me, boy, oh boy. I mean, how would we like to still be living under the old covenant? No, thank you. So let's think about this old covenant Jeremiah's prophesying under. This is Old Testament. We'll bring this to a close. We've looked at our verses. Now let's reflect on it. This was Israel under the old covenant. Israel was under a covenant of law and therefore condemnation. How do we know that? It says that in Romans 7, that that a knowledge of sin comes from the law and it's the ministry of condemnation. The ministry where you're condemned and boy, you read this and that's condemning words right there. And so I think it's important for us to realise that we're in a different time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 says this, and this is the time we're in now, for he says, in a favourable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped uh, helped you, and behold, now is the favourable time, behold, now is the day of salvation. That's the day we're in now. Israel was not in that day. Israel was in a day where they had told God, we don't want you. We don't want anything to do with you. We're sick of you telling us what to do. Who do you think you are? Get out of our lives. We're sick of this. We're sick of your laws. We're sick of your Bible. We're sick of your prophets. We're sick of you. Take a holiday. And the God who had given Israel a covenant, which is an agreement, where they had said, we will never do that. That was the old covenant. We'll never do that to you, God. This God is ticked. And now the day that we're in is not that day. This is the day of salvation. This is the day where you can turn to God and be forgiven of your sin. This is the day where God is not telling his church to stop praying for these people. This is the day when God is telling the church to rise up in prayer and pray for people. This is the day when anybody from any race, creed or religion can turn to God and ask to have their sins forgiven and for Jesus Christ to become their saviour. It is the day of salvation today. It's not too late. It's not too late. It was too late for Israel. It's not too late for us today. This covenant that God has now given us is not a covenant of law and condemnation. This is a covenant of grace and forgiveness. So we are under a covenant of grace and forgiveness. Does it matter? Absolutely it matters. It matters that you you need to hear this all the time. Romans 5.15 says but the free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the grace of god and the free gift by the grace of god by one man jesus christ abounded um i want you to see the contrast between the old covenant it was death it was law under the new covenant it's a free gift of grace And that that gift of grace, it's it's interesting, if you study the New Testament, you'll find that grace saves us from sin. But then the New Testament, as it unfolds, it uses grace not in a saving sense, 
but in a sustaining sense. How do you live the Christian life? How do you get up on a Sunday morning and come to church? How do you have children and teach them the word of God and teach them to love God and teach them to pray and teach them to share their faith and teach them how to behave in church by the grace of God? How do you continue your prayer life by the grace of God? How do you continue to feed your soul each day from the word of God by the grace of God? We need the grace of God to live the Christian life. So we need the grace of God to be a follower of Christ. And it would be a mistake for us to think that under this new covenant of grace, God suddenly got soft. We would be completely deluded if that's what we're thinking. Because it's the same God that was speaking to Jeremiah that has initiated the covenant of grace. So Hebrews 10.29, this is new covenant. Oh boy, isn't this scary? How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? You, is that in the New Testament? Yeah, that's Hebrews. That's in the New Testament. You see, the same God that was speaking to Jeremiah, the same God that was saying to Jeremiah, I hate sin, I hate wickedness, I hate evil, is the same God in the New Testament. He still hates sin. He still hates evil. He still hates wickedness. And if you think, well, I've been forgiven of sin, so now it doesn't matter how bad I sin, I'm off to town, then you don't get it. Because the grace of God is meant to save you from the very things God hates. Do not outrage the spirit of grace. Do not outrage the spirit of grace. That's why people call me a bit of a stick in the mud and a bit of a... You know, just you probably come up with all the names you call me under your breath. And, because I, I, there's, there's a whole bunch of things I don't find funny. There's a whole bunch of things I'm not prepared to mock and laugh at. And sin is one of them. The grace of God we'll sing about as we've done. Because it saved us from this wretched thing called sin. And let's not kid ourselves that we can fool around with sin and outrage the Spirit of God. This is why, you know, Stephen was doing the offering this morning. He was talking about tithing under the Old Covenant. Here we are today. You know, the direction of the New Covenant is a higher standard than the Old Covenant. Jesus said, you shall not murder. He said, but under the New Covenant, I tell you, don't even hate. Jesus said, the Old Covenant said, do not commit adultery. I tell you, don't even entertain lust. The Old Covenant, you give this. Jesus says, give it all. Someone asks you for your coat, give them your jacket as well. Someone asks you to walk one mile, walk two. You see the direction of the new covenant? See the direction of grace? I want my children to get this. I hope they're listening. When, when mum says, tidy your room, how many pieces of clothing do I have to pick up? That's old covenant. <laughs> but can you see? When, when a customer comes into your store, if you're working in a store and says, uh, I'd, I'd like uh, this. Give them this plus. You know, the plus can be service. I'm telling you to rip off your employer. Just <laughs> go beyond. <laughs> Although if you're feeling that way and you work for a... Anyway, no, I'm kidding. So grace is a higher standard. We as Christians don't do the minimum. We go beyond the minimum. That's what grace does. It empowers that. So when your boss says, hey, can you stay back five minutes? Stay back. Five and a half. <laughs> Go all the way. <laughs> if, if, if your boss says, hey, do you reckon you get this done in an hour? Get it done in 45 minutes. Get it done, you know, 
We give more than is expected. That's the direction of grace. And that's how grace affects every part of our life. Grace. And the people of Jerusalem did not get that. So we're going to finish with this. We mentioned before that sin pays wages and it was payday for Jerusalem. In this era, this is around about 590 BC. It was going to be payday for them. Sin pays wages and it was payday. And the New Testament says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So note this, sin pays wages. And they're not the kind of wages you want to get and we all deserve it. But God is offering grace. God is offering grace and that grace is not automatically dispensed. That grace, it says in Romans 5.17, notice this. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who, see that next word, receive. See, you can choose not to receive. You can go, no, no, I, I'm going to take my own chances, thanks. I'm going to stand before you, God, because I, I'm, I've got a legal brain. I know how to defend myself in the day of judgment. I reckon I found a loophole. I reckon I can get around my sin and get into heaven despite all your rules and regulations. All the best. But for those of us that realize that that itself is the height of delusion, then here's the invitation. Receive the grace of God. Receive the grace of God. For those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness... Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Will you receive that grace today? Will you turn to Christ? Will you as a Christian hate what God hates and live in and by his grace? Let's pray. Father, we pray that we might live for you and hate what you hate and love what you love. Help us now, Lord, I pray to turn from those things that break your heart and cause us to turn to you so that we might delight your heart. I pray, Father, for those that are here and they are aware of their sin, they are aware of their need for forgiveness. If that's you, you know you need a saviour. You are one prayer away from having your sins forgiven. A prayer that says, Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. Come, and live in me and take over my life and help me to live for you. That prayer can not only change your eternity, but it can change your life from this day on. And Christian, you may be here and you may have never thought of living in the grace of God to live the Christian life. I challenge you, begin to hate what God hates, abhor what is evil, and begin to love and cling to that which is good. And so, Father, I pray for us the church that we will hate sin, we will hate compromise, we'll hate lukewarmness, and that, Father, we'll be red-hot passionate for you, for the cause of Christ. Help us to be highly invitational. Help us to be highly evangelistic. Help us, Lord, to live the kind of lives that show that we are grace-drenched, struggling, God-seeking sinners who've been saved by the grace of God. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Live the selfish, sinful life and you will pay dearly. Any chance you could escape paying for your sin? Jesus is the only way. Jesus has indeed paid for your sin and graciously offers you salvation from the consequences. Turn your back on sin and turn toward Jesus. He is your only hope. 
A CD copy of the complete version of tonight's program, Jeremiah number 37, Sin Pays Wages and Its Payday, is available from the website findingtruthmatters.org. Other Finding Truth Matters resources, including podcasts, are available from the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to having you tune in at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.